Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft. The world is full of unseen forces. Let me be your guide as we lift the veil and peer into the face of the unknown. This is the Major's Well. Your one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spiritual. Hey Majors, welcome back to the show. This week, I'm excited because we've got fertility magic. Perhaps fertility in its sexualized form doesn't appeal to you, or it isn't applicable for your own individual scenario. But fertility can be harnessed in terms of new opportunities, new ways of living, It's new ideas, it's creation, it's honouring the natural world, and it's also to do with inner work and creating this mindset of abundance. Fertility doesn't necessarily result in the birth of a child. Today's episode is inclusive, regardless of your gender identity or lack of. Bear in mind that the spells I list for fertility later on in the episode carry this broad definition. If you're sensitive towards sex and sexuality, I'd sit this one out. I talk about the different genitalia, so there's a trigger warning, as well as a brief mention of miscarriage. I've packed a lot into this one, and I explore my long-lost profession as a biology teacher. Buckle up, kids. Now, fertility has heavily been linked to sex between men and women. However, there can be a non-sexual fertility in the form of nature the land, and also creativity. I believe that creativity in its various forms is linked to the fertile soils within the mind. Often with some of my tarot clients, I pull cards that symbolize the birth of a child. But I sometimes interpret this as the birth of a creative project. Let's say, for example, you have an idea for a novel. The idea gestates within you until you're finally able to bravely release it into the world where it takes a life of its own. Fertility and creativity are two rivers that run very closely together. There's also this idea of fertility of the land, a bountiful harvest and nature overflowing. 
Every spring, there's an influx of possibility in the form of thousands upon thousands of eggs coming from the Earth's various creatures. And just some historical disclaimers before we get into it. I'm going to talk about some fertility deities, but I thought I should say that some of these deities, they're not just limited to the idea of fertility. They are highly complex and they are diverse in their roles. I've just pulled out their fertility qualities for this episode. Also, I talk about fertility cults. Now, there's a lot of debate around this concept, especially when we talk about fertility cults in prehistory. We're not 100% sure that there were cults based around this idea of fertility. It's different people's interpretations. Also, this topic is huge. I've tried not to bring things to the table that are obvious, i.e. I could have spoken about Easter. I wanted to explore new ideas and present things that aren't in the mainstream. I want to talk a little bit about the anatomy of different genitals and mention the symbolism around them. The uterus, also called a womb, is an inverted triangular shape that branches out with fallopian tubes that connect to the ovaries. These are the glands that hold the eggs, where every 28 days, one, although sometimes it's more, one egg is released into the uterus. This egg, if not fertilised on its way to the uterus, disintegrates, and the uterus lining, which has thickened in anticipation of fertilisation, sheds, and then the period begins. If, however, it has been fertilised, the egg sticks to the lining of the uterus, where the embryo begins to form. Out of 14 million sperm cells, it's one that will fertilise the egg. The baby develops in the uterus and when ready, passes through the cervix, which is the narrow opening into the birth canal, also known as the vagina, and births through the vulva. The vulva is the opening of the vagina, and that carries a lot of symbolism. From it emerges the menses, birth waters, birth blood, and newborns, often compared with water flowing from clefts in stone, and seeds sprouting and emerging from the earth and the monthly cycle has also been linked to phases of the moon. The uterus or womb has been described as both a birthplace and a tomb. Based on this idea of whether or not fertilization occurs, a place of transformation, dualistic in nature, it combines this idea of death and birth. Within Native American cultures, the earth is symbolic of the womb. The sky is her inseminator through his life-giving rain, now, the inner sanctum within Hindu and Jain temples is called Garbhagriha, coming from the Sanskrit words Garbha, meaning womb, and Griha, meaning house. It also translates to womb chamber. It's this room where the temple's deity resides. The Makamakeya Devi Temple, situated in the city of Guwahati in the Assam state of India, celebrates menstruation and actually sees it as a symbol of power to give birth. This is the only temple, as far as we know, that actually does this. Dedicated to the mother goddess, Kamakeya, who resides over fertility and reproduction, there are no images depicting her in the inner sanctum, the Garbhagriha. But there is a carving in the form of a fissure in a wall, depicting a yoni, or a vulva. This inner sanctum is located within the cave section of the temple, and the stone is naturally kept moist from a spring that flows over it. Every year, around June or July, the goddess menstruates for three days in a festival called the Ambubachi Mila. For reasons unknown, the nearby river, the Barmaputra, which is connected to the cave spring, turns red. When this occurs, the temple is closed so the goddess may rest and regain her powers. There's no concrete explanation why the river turns red, 
but some have suggested it's from a type of algae. Investigations have failed to prove this. Others have said it's from the priests putting vermilion powder, a red pigment, into the river, but the quantities needed would be ridiculous. A nearby hill contains cinnabar deposits, which is another red pigment. Combine this with the fact that the area has a high concentration of iron within the water naturally, giving it a red tinge. It could explain it, but again, it's not concrete. And also, why the phenomenon lasts three days is unknown. And I should say that when the river turns red, it's not a subtle event. It literally looks like blood. I've added a picture to it on the Instagram. Blood is another potent symbol of fertility and life, and Jung drew comparisons to the network of the blood system, to the tree of life. When blood is contained within the body, it holds and maintains life, but once spilt, it congeals and turns into a dark red, symbolising death. Blood was, and still is consumed, to harness its power, and this idea of it symbolising life. The Maasai drank the blood of lions. Today, they commonly drink the blood of cows. The Norwegians drank the blood of bears, and how many Christians ritually drink the blood of Christ? The Mayans and Aztecs would sacrifice their enemies. Their blood would satisfy the gods as a sign of repaying the debt that humans owed them for shedding their own divine blood and creating humanity. The phallus fills with blood, flooding the erectile tissue, which becomes engorged, taking it into the form that it's worshipped as a sign of virility and reproduction. Depictions and representations of the erect penis are prehistoric. Around the world, stone phalli have been discovered, and some were created 28,000 years ago. Sometimes the phallus is portrayed as the sun, with its far-reaching and penetrating rays. Sperm, the fertilizers of eggs, carry a lot of symbolism in history. The word sperm comes from the Greek sperma, meaning seed, and derives from spurine, meaning to sow. Eggs play a role in major mythologies around the world, and origin stories often begin with an egg hatching. Bulls, or Taurus symbols, are potent symbols of female fertility. Looking head-on, a bull's face may look like a uterus, with the horns representing the fallopian tubes. The vulva was heavily used in iconography, however this changed when the Romans and the Greeks arrived on the scene. Art literally senses the vulva, and the phallus takes a more prominent position as a fertility symbol. A lot of tools within witchcraft symbolise the genitals, and the use of a pestle and mortar is said to represent sex. Natural formations within the land, alluding to breasts, vaginas and penises, were and still are regarded as sacred, and rituals were performed around them on key agricultural dates, including rituals around sex. In China, the Guizhou Twin Peaks looks very similar to breasts, and it's customary not to travel to the peak of these mountains as a sign of respect to the goddess. They are seen as her sacred residence. The landscape around these mountains is packed with wildlife, and the soils are heavily fertile, further strengthening this belief of a local fertility goddess. But also, man-made structures can still create and harness fertile energy. On the edge of Lake Titicaca, lies a megalithic fertility temple called Chiquito. What makes this site unique is the fact that it's a collection of stone-cut phallic structures. It's thought that rites took place here to cure women of their issues around fertility. The Cern Abbas Giant is another site. It's a huge figure, thought to be from the 1600s. 
depicting a naked man wielding a club with an erection on the side of a hill. Thought to be a mocking depiction of Oliver Cromwell, others have said it's much older, depicting the Celtic god Nodens. Either way, it's been a potent fertility symbol since Victorian times. Folklore says a woman who sleeps on the giant will become more fertile. To have sex on the giant, especially on the penis, would cure infertility. It's interesting to note that women in and around this area have on average three children, nearly double the national average. Fertility goddesses are found all over the globe. Within the landscape she was associated with rounded hills, bubbling streams and springs, as well as caves, which were seen as her womb. Images of local goddesses have exaggerated breasts and abdomens, signs of nourishment and motherhood. They have been found all over Europe and further afield. An example of this would be the Venus of Willendorf. An estimate put its date of creation at around 24,000 to 22,000 BCE. The Greeks called their equivalent Gaia, and she was a titan. When the Olympians overthrew the titans, Demeter took her position. Germanic tribes would put a statue of their equivalent, called Merthus, into a cart pulled by heifers and take her throughout the land, so all the people could see her. The heifers weren't controlled, and wherever they pulled the cart was seen as the will of the goddess. Processions would gather in fields to invoke her and ask for her blessings and protection over the fields and crops. In Anatolia, a cult of fertility sprung up around the goddess Sibel. Fertility only came to the earth due to her pleasure when she wanted a husband. The more happy she was, the more bountiful the harvest. It was also believed that she gave birth to spring. Worshippers honoured her with orgiastic rites, and her priests were male eunuchs. They castrated themselves in the middle of pleasure as an offering of their fertility to Sibel. These priests were also initiated with a bloody baptism. A ditch would be dug, the priest would get inside, and a grate would be placed over the ditch. A bull would be sacrificed over this ditch, and the blood and organs would wash over the priest. The genitals of the bull would be cut off and thrown into the pit. Sibel is a bit intense, it seems. Coatlique is the Aztec goddess of fertility. Now she gave birth to the moon and the stars, and is also the mother to the god of the sun, Huitzilopochtli. Another Aztec deity to fertility is Xipatotec. Now he was the male god of fertility, and the Toltecs, a society predating the Aztecs, also worshipped him. Meaning our lord, the flayed one, he wore the skin of his victims in what's thought to be a symbol of renewal. As he sheds his old skin, the earth will also shed and renew. May Fossop is the rice goddess of Thailand. She's quite shy, and she's easily frightened, so before harvest, there must be no men, no loud noises, or any mention of death or demons. She may miscarry, and the harvest may fail. As the rice plants mature, the farmers perform a ceremony called Tham Quan to honour the goddess and to also give the plants strength. As part of the ritual, they sing, Dear Spirit of Rice, Mother, Mother Fosi, Mother Fosop, Mother of the Nine Stars, Mother Chanthawi, Mother Sidusida, Come, please come. Priapus is a minor Greek god of fertility. Now, his mother is Aphrodite. His father remains a mystery, but some suspect it's either Dionysus or Zeus. Now, Aphrodite cursed the child while she was still pregnant with him. She made him ugly and gave him a permanent erection. When he was born, she cast him out into the wilderness in disgust. Now, a shepherd stumbles upon Priapus and takes him in because he realises that where Priapus steps, 
plants spring from the ground and animals start mating around him, solidifying his position as a fertility god. Fertility rituals and rites have been used throughout history. Harvest and fertility success is variable and uncertain, and especially more so in the ancient world. They used these rites and rituals to honour the earth and their bodies. They used these rites and rituals to honour the earth and their bodies in order to tip the scales in their favour. When successfully performed, they increased the likelihood of conception and ensured a healthy amount of crops. In fact, fertility worship was a cornerstone in many ancient pagan practices. Images pertaining to masculine or feminine aspects have been found in every culture across the globe throughout all periods of history. Festivals and rituals would often centre around the idea of renewing the generative powers of the natural world. They would take the form of dances, prayers, incantations, and sacred dramas. Now these sacred dramas, they were based on important myths, which focused around the idea of an earth goddess searching for her lost lover or her child, i.e. Demeter searching for Persephone. Ancient Greeks celebrated something called Thesmophoria, linked to Persephone and Demeter, and one of Greece's oldest festivals. It was highly secretive and a solely female affair, something that's quite unusual in Greece, and it was huge. Over 50 cities recognised it, from Sicily in the west, to Asia Minor in the east, as far north as Macedonia, and to the south with North Africa. Its spread and popularity suggests that it has ancient prehistoric roots. A three-day affair, the festival has some interesting points. On day one, two women would descend into a cave and bring out the remains of the last festival's sacrifice piglets, replacing them with fresh sacrifices. Fertility cakes made from baked dough in the form of snakes and the phallus were also retrieved. The second day consisted of fasting. The women only ate pomegranate seeds and in complete silence in order to honour the mourning of Demeter over the loss of Persephone. They would also sit on the floor and transfer their power into the earth. Now, the piglet remains that were dug up were mixed with seeds and placed on an altar to Demeter and Persephone, and fertility cakes and pine cones were also added to this compost as well. Pine cones were revered as they carried many seeds. Now, this mixture, it was seen as a divine compost, stirring up the earth's fertility and guaranteeing a good harvest. At sunset, the fast and silence would be broken, and they ate cakes shaped like female genitalia, whilst making obscene jokes about men. The third day consisted of women singing ritual songs. The older women would go to the altar, take the compost, and would give some to each woman to put on the fields. The women would also perform sacrifices, also highly unusual. This could only be done if you were a priestess, or a man. Average women couldn't take part. King Betus of Cyrene actually caught a glimpse of the festival. In anger, the disciples castrated him for ruining the sanctity. In another account, men pretending to be women in order to join in were discovered and were brutally attacked. Meanwhile, in Egypt, Hathor was a prominent goddess of fertility. She had a cult following and a few debaucherous festivals in her name for fertility-promoting qualities. In her annual festival of drunkenness, people would drink and have sex, possibly with the belief that it would bring about the Nile's waters returning to fertilise the soil. There's a myth about how she saved the land. The sun god Ra was having an off day. If you remember from the Isis episode, he's a bit old and decrepit. 
This weakness was endangering the land. Hathor saw this, and to remedy it, she stripped down and showed him her vulva. He instantly started laughing and regained his vitality, thus saving the land. Today in Memphis, Egypt, women will walk around a huge statue of Ramesses seven times in order to receive his blessing and grant them fertility. Ramesses, after all, had 20 wives, supposedly bearing him 120 sons and 80 daughters. The statue lies on its back and is 40 feet long. Women even climb on top of it and mimic lovemaking, or even urinate on it, in order to try and secure the deal. Similarly, in Cornwall, UK, if women pass through a stone formation called the Crickstone, which is a rock with a hole jutting out of the ground, they will fall pregnant. Also throughout the UK, there's performance by Morris dancers, a type of English folk dancer. They perform to ensure a good harvest. They're quite rare, but this ancient practice is still honoured. The ancient Incans used to bathe and then anoint themselves in a mixture of grain and human blood called Zancus. It was done at the autumn equinox, at a purification feast. In a similar vein, the Kans of Bengal would sacrifice a person to Tari Penu, their earth goddess, in hopes that she'd grant them a bountiful harvest and protect against disease. The last known instance of this was the late 19th century. Over in Japan, a festival sprung up around the myth where a woman had a sharp-toothed demon live inside her vagina. When she tried to have sex, the demon bit off her lover's penis. This happened twice. To put an end to this, she went to a blacksmith and asked him to construct an iron penis. The demon broke its teeth. The festival is called Kanamara Matsuri and is held in spring, and it promotes this idea of fertility and good luck. The Romans had a festival called Saturnalia, which honoured the death and rebirth of the sun and the god of agriculture, Saturn. I wouldn't strictly call it a fertility festival from my reading, but it is linked to agriculture with this idea of Saturn. It seems to be more focused on the reversal of societal norms and the positions people held within society. Celebrated around the winter solstice, the farmers would have finished their autumn planting by then, and the festival linked the fertility of the fields to human bodies. The week-long festival saw a lot of sacrifices, as well as the reversal of roles. Enslaved servants would be served food by their masters, and men would dress as women. Mock sacrifices of the god himself, Saturn, were also conducted. In the Congo, it's customary for the Ansi people to throw their underwear onto the roof during a waning moon. Within early modern Europe, women hoping to conceive would actually walk in the shadow of a lusty woman to take on some of their power of copulation and conception. Women also used to step over freshly executed people, and it was especially if they were hanged. The more sudden and traumatic the death, the better. The freshly released life source was believed to be looking for a new body. A similar custom happens in Cantonese funerals, the daughter-in-law wears green around her midsection, the colour of growth and fertility. She then rubs her stomach against the coffin of the deceased in hopes of absorbing some of their power. A Maasai bride, before entering her new home, has milk poured over her head by her mother-in-law in what's thought to be a fertility blessing. It's believed the act will usher in abundance and children for the newlywed couple. You can try some of these spells to bring about the energy of fertility and renewal.
Mondays and Fridays are generally good days to cast them under a new, waxing or full moon. The crystal bloodstone is great to use within the concept of fertility, and it also relates to the goddess Isis. Now, rubies are also a good stone, and there's an old tradition of drinking crushed up rubies, but that sounds pricey and dangerous. Instead, infuse water with rubies under the light of a full moon and drink the next morning. Red candles are typically used for fertility magic as well as shells, and in particular cowrie shells. Now, belts of cowrie have been unearthed in Northern Europe, Asia and Africa, and are said to aid with fertility. Roses and orchids are also potent symbols of fertility too, especially green roses. Now, the word orchid comes from the Greek orchis, or testicle. Now, basil's presence is said to aid fertility. It's a cheap and easy herb to get hold of. You would hang a fresh bunch above your bed. You could also add yarrow to the mix as well. It's another potent fertility herb heavily used within English folklore. If you really want to add more power to it, try adding mugwort and mistletoe. You could also follow a Chinese tradition of throwing chestnuts and dates into the bed as well. But back to this idea of basil. You could make a pesto using basil, lemon balm and parsley, all plants relating to fertility deities. And for an extra kick, you could make it with a pestle and mortar. Walnuts and chestnuts are particularly powerful, especially for phallic fertility. Place these nuts in a bowl and eat and replenish them often. The same could be done with pine cones, obviously don't eat them. And you could also charge one with your intent and throw it in the fire to release it. I quite like that one. And this was supposedly how Sibel was petitioned. Now this next one is from 5000 Spells by Judica Ills and involves a powerful Middle Eastern goddess, Astarte, who ruled over war and fertility. Make an oil dedicated to her using the essential oils of coriander, jasmine, myrrh and neroli and then you would add rosatar. Next, get a candle that looks like you, carve in your name, birthday and intentions and then dress the candle with the oil. Burn the candle and petition Astarte. You could also hollow out the candle and put herbs inside that represent fertility to you. Also, nuts and seeds would be a good idea. And just a word of warning about essential oils. If you're pregnant, really be careful with essential oils, and I would actually avoid them because some of them can actually cause problems further down the line. You can also try inducing a fertility dream. Set your intention, and from the tarot deck, get the Empress, the Sun, and the Ace of Cups and place them under your pillow and sleep. Repeat until you have clarity or direction, or until you've received your dream. If there's somebody in your life who embodies fertility in whatever capacity, try borrowing and wearing their clothes in an act of transference. Growing plants from seed, really easy hack as well. Try growing poppies in particular. Their seed pods represent potential and life. Also with this idea, certain trees carry a particularly strong connection to fertility. Figs, peaches, pomegranates, nut-bearing trees, pines, apples and willows. All really potent trees. If you menstruate, fill a vessel with your blood and bury it at the foot of one of these trees. You could petition the tree or just leave it as an offering to the earth. If blood is unavailable to you, you could also use some charged moon water. You could also try sleep under the moon. Some cultures warned against unmarried women sleeping in moonlight as it believed they could fall pregnant. You could combine this with sleeping under the tree that you've also petitioned. It was believed that women when they swallowed flies would conceive, 
the flies were viewed as the souls of the dead, looking for a new form. And this is thought to be where the old woman swallowing the fly song came from. And it's also quite popular in fairy tales to be born this way. You basically mold the chocolate into the shape of flies whilst visualising what you want to conceive and then eat them. Again, visualising your outcome. The ocean is seen as a highly fertile place. Many cultures have this idea of washing in the sea to ease any issues around fertility. Allow seven to nine waves to wash over you and for the issues around fertility to be removed. Also, if you're thinking of decorating your altar around this idea of fertility, shells are a very potent symbol for this. As a race, we are obsessed with the idea of fertility, and this has been the case since the beginning of time. A marriage contract from the time of the Assyrian Empire, around 4,000 years ago, has been translated. It states that in the event of failure of having children within two years of the wedding date, the husband may use an enslaved woman to conceive a child for the couple. This is the first mention of human infertility, and whether or not they were able to conceive, we may never know, but their descendants could be walking the earth today. And majors, that's it. That's a wrap for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. My intent with this podcast is to provide guidance and inspiration for those on their spiritual path, and to talk about interesting parts of history relating to spirituality. I also want to connect you with information that is both useful and reliable. Would you like to support me and encourage me in creating more episodes? With your support, I can give the podcast more time and create more quality content. You can support me through Patreon and gain access to exclusive content and be part of the Majors Well community, as well as being in the communal sugarpot spell. The link is in the episode description. You could also support me by following my Instagram at the Majors Well, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and telling your friends about the show. Please get in touch with anything you wish to share at themajorswell at gmail.com and you may just get featured. A big thank you to Coral St. Clair for the podcast artwork. The poem this week is called Death of a Naturalist by Seamus Heaney. All year the flax dam festered in the heat of the townland, green and heavy-headed. Flax had rotten there, weighted down by huge sods. Daily it sweltered in the punishing sun. Bubbles gargled delicately. Blue bottles wove a strong gauze of sound around the smell. There were dragonflies, spotted butterflies, but best of all was the warm, thick slobber of frog spawn that grew like clotted water in the shade of the banks. Here, every spring, I would fill jam potfuls of the jellied specks to range on windowsills at home, on shelves at school, and wait and watch until the fattening dots burst into nimble, swimming tadpoles. Miss Walls would tell us how the daddy frog was called a bullfrog, and how he croaked, and how the mammy frog laid hundreds of little eggs, and this was frog spawn. You could tell the weather by frogs too, for they were yellow in the sun and brown in the rain. Then one hot day, when the fields were rank, with cow dung in the grass, the angry frogs invaded the flax dam. I ducked through the hedges to a coarse croaking that I had not heard before. The air was thick with bass chorus. Right down the dam, gross-bellied frogs were cocked on sods. Their loose necks pulsed like sails. Some hopped. The slap 
the plod, were obscene threats. Some sat poised like mud grenades, their blunt heads farting. I sickened, turned, and ran. The great slime kings were gathered there for vengeance, and I knew that if I dipped my hand, the spawn would clutch it. Peace out, witches. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.